This is Curiosity Killed the Plaque with hygienist Spring Hatfield on the Today's RDH Dental Hygiene Podcast. Listen as Spring uses her naturally curious mind to explore the relevant topics hygienists currently face today. Hello, fellow dental professionals and tooth enthusiasts. Welcome to another episode of Curiosity Cut the Black. Today, we're delving into a captivating topic, dental-related infections that can lead to serious complications and, in some cases, death. Now, that's pretty heavy, but it is a reality, so we definitely need to be aware of situations that could lead to a fatality. Personally, I could not be happier about living in today's world with so many advancements in dentistry and medicine. I know that there are some complicated and complex things going on in our world, but when it comes to medicine and dentistry, there just isn't a better time to be alive, in my opinion. A very significant discovery was made in 1836 by Willem Frederick von Ludwig. He described a condition as a fast-spreading, nearly always fatal, gangrenous induration of the connective tissue of the neck and floor of the mouth. Today, we recognize this infection as Ludwig's angina. Ludwig's angina is relatively rare in modern times. However, it is certainly not obsolete. Therefore, when it does occur, it demands immediate medical intervention. And although fatalities have significantly improved compared to historical accounts, this condition can still be life-threatening. Dental infections, particularly in the mandibular molars, are the most common cause of Ludwig's angina. They account for about 90% of the cases. However, I do not want you to get too caught up on that statistic because uh, maxillary infections, injuries, oral piercings that are wildly uh, popular these days, um, tongue injuries, and other factors can also contribute to its development. Some individuals uh, have a higher risk due to predisposing factors such as diabetes, oral malignancies, untreated dental caries, alcoholism, malnutrition, and immune compromised status. Again, I do not want you to get hung up on predisposing factors when you're considering Ludwig's angina as a differential diagnosis because there have been many cases of Ludwig's angina that have developed in previously healthy patients. The pathophysiology of Ludwig's angina involves polymicrobial organisms found in the oral flora, including Staphylococcus, Streptococcus, um, Fusobacterium, Actinomyces, um, probably a few others that I'm forgetting right now. Uh, The infection essentially spreads rapidly, making its way toward the tongue and invading the sublingual and submandibular spaces. If you encounter a patient and you suspect that they may have Ludwig's angina, there are four significant signs to look for. The first is bilateral involvement of multiple deep tissue spaces. The second is gangrene um, putrid infiltration, but with little or no obvious pus. So these patients are are extradate, not just pus is such a bad word. I hate that word. But these patients are not going to have like a draining fistula or you're not going to see a bunch of of drainage in these patients. Uh, The third is involvement of connective tissue, fascia, muscles, but not 
glandular structure. So when you're palpating these patients with this, um, this swelling, submandibular swelling, you're likely not going to feel any kind of enlarged lymph nodes. And this leads to the fourth sign, which is it spreads via facial space rather than the lymphatic system, hence the reason you're not going to likely feel any kind of swollen lymph nodes. And again, I want to say that if you do feel swollen lymph nodes and they have submandibular swelling, that does not exclude Ludwig's angina from your differential diagnosis. They could still have Ludwig's angina and have something else that's causing their lymph nodes to be swollen. So don't dis discount it altogether just because they do have a swollen lymph node. So I want to talk about a couple of case reports that have occurred within the past five or 10 years. So relatively recently, um, to help us like better understand Ludwig's angina in a clinical context. The first case is a fatality. So if you are squeamish or triggered by fatality reports, you may want to skip forward a few minutes. I don't want anyone to be upset. I'm not going to be giving any kind of gruesome details, but at the same time, some people just don't handle fatality reports well. And if that is you, then please move forward because I would never want to say something that was upsetting or triggering in any way. Uh, this uh, particular case, a 43-year-old man with a history of hypertension was found unresponsive in a hotel room. A week before his death, he had facial swelling and mentioned a skin problem. He had difficulty speaking and complained of a swollen tongue. Days prior, he told his employer he needed time off for a toothache. At the autopsy, the microscopic examination revealed acute inflammation in various throat and neck tissues. The cause of death was, quote, complications of submandibular space infection, which we also refer to as Ludwig's angina. The next case is also a fatality, so if you're tuning back in because you fast-forwarded through the first one, uh, move forward a few more minutes so that you don't have to listen to this one either. I don't want to trigger anyone. Uh, so this particular case, a 51-year-old woman with a recent history of jaw pain and swelling from an abscessed tooth was found dead in her chair one morning at home. Uh, during the autopsy, it was observed that the left buccal mucosa and gingiva had swelling, necrotic tissue, and purulent fluid. Tooth number 19 was missing with a necrotic socket, and tooth number 18 had deep decay indicative of pulpal necrosis. There was exudate or pus and necrosis in the facial tissues extending into the anterior mediastinum. The heart showed bacterial overgrowth and fibrosis. Microscopic examination revealed inflammation, necrosis, and granulation tissue in the gingiva and neck muscles. The cause of death was um, described as, quote, sepsis due to an abscessed tooth. Also, again, this is indicative of Ludwig's angina, and um, both of these deaths were considered uh, caused naturally. In this next case, it has a happier and more ideal ending, so you can definitely listen to this one if, um, if you had to fast forward through the, the first two. Um, an 11-year-old child presented with a fever and bilateral submandibular swelling, which quickly progressed to submental swelling. The patient had severe dental decay in both mandibular molars and evidence of re um, radicular infections at the apex on the radiographic examination. 
prompt treatment with IV penicillin G and metronidazole led to significant improvement within three days. After six months, the patient was completely healed with no lingering effects from the infection. Um, the one thing I want to highlight here is the fact that it actually took six months for this patient to completely heal. So these infections are very serious. Um, this next case is complicated because it occurred at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so there were some complicating circumstances. Nonetheless, um, we'll just dive in. Uh, a 26-year-old female visited the emergency department with bilateral swelling of the sublingual and submandibular space. She had previously been um, diagnosed with pericornitis from a dentist and she was uh, given antibiotics and analgesics, but after taking the antibiotics for a few days, um, she showed no signs of improvement. Ludwig's angina was immediately diagnosed based on clinical presentation and was later confirmed through a contrast-enhanced CT. In this case, the patient's condition became more complicated due to her COVID-19 status, so she had COVID-19 at the same time as she had the Wink's angina, which is just terrible, but um, it made things a little more complicated. Uh, nonetheless, appropriate antibiotic therapy is crucial to manage um, Ludwig's angina, and she was treated initially with Cevotaxime, later changed to genomycin based on exudate culture results. The infection progressed to the pharyngeal space despite the fact that she was on intravenous antibiotics. The patient required airway management and she did have some lung damage, but it was attributed to her COVID-19 and not necessarily uh, the Ludwig's angina. So after this patient was stabilized, um, multiple teeth were extracted and local irrigation with metronidazole was performed twice a day for eight days. The patient also underwent physical therapy for trismus and following a 15 day stay in the hospital, she, um, her condition improved and she was discharged. Now um, she was in the hospital for 15 days and eight of those days, she, at least eight of those days, um, she had to have um, local irrigation with metronidazole twice a day. So we can assume even if she didn't have COVID-19 that she would have probably been hospitalized for a week or longer due to just the Ludwig's angina. So as we've discovered, Ludwig's angina can quickly obstruct the airway and spread systemically causing sepsis. Uh, reports of past incidents indicate that progression can occur in a few hours, not days, not weeks, not months, but a few hours. And this is despite the use of oral antibiotics and sometimes even intravenous antibiotics as we just discovered in um, one of the case studies here. Therefore, any swelling on the mandible is considered an emergency. So the patient should needs to be seen immediately within the dental office or they need to be sent to an emergency medicine setting right away. If your patients call in and say, have some swelling, you need to make time to see them or you need to send them to the emergency medical um, facilities that is closest to them immediately for um, to be checked out. So in the pre-antibiotic era, where I would never want to live, um, Ludwig's angina had a mortality rate that exceeded 50%. So today with antibiotics and proper treatment, mortality is down to 8%, but it's still too high considering this condition is preventable in most cases. Again, there are some extenuating circumstances that we discussed, um, injuries, piercings, things like that, that can cause uh, Ludwig's angina that wouldn't have been prevented from proper dental care. So early diagnosis and treatment, completely, they are the cornerstone in reducing the risk of mortality. Um, we've went over different treatment uh, 
modalities, uh, which consists of airway management, if, if they have some kind of um, involvement with their airway, aggressive anti, uh, intravenous antibiotics, and in some cases, patients have to have surgical drainage. And again, most cases of blood wax angina could be prevented with routine dental care, and um, it, there is some problems with access to care, but I'm not going to get into that because that is an entirely different conversation to have. So I'm going to come right back to Love Weeks Angina. Um, and essentially, even though it's rare, and I've only seen it happen once and maybe twice in my 20-year career, but not often. Um, it's rare, but nonetheless, it is a life-threatening emergency and it requires immediate care. So as dental professionals and specifically dental hygienists that are um, in the position to prevent disease, we need to have conversations with our patients about the importance of having decay removed and the proper restorative treatments done to prevent an infection. I'm not implying that we use Ludwig's angina as a way to scare our patients into getting treatment done, but it is something that we need to have a conversation with them about regarding this could occur if you don't get these teeth taken care of, because it is a real thing that could really occur. Um, so prompt treatment is vital if they do happen to uh, present with some swelling because they didn't move forward with their restorative treatment. That's the best way to prevent any kind of death or not any kind of death, any kind of complications or death. Um, there are known complications with Ludwig's angina that include a carotid artery, arterial rupture or sheath abscesses, thrombophlebitis of the internal jugular vein, mediastinitis, pericardial infusion, osteomyelitis of the mandib mandible, um, subphrenic abscesses, aspiration pneumonia, and pleural effusion. I mean, it doesn't always have to end in death. These things can happen. And all of these things are also very serious medical complications that are associated with a dental infection, right? We need to make sure our patients understand that dental infections are very serious. I had a patient that I saw for six months for probably two years that had an abscess. They just simply refused to get it treated because, oh, it drains and it doesn't hurt and this, that, and the other. And you know what? it's fine until it's not and that's the problem so i had to have a conversation with this patient and say look i understand that you're a little nervous about getting this treatment done or what have you but you are really taking a very big risk by not managing this infection it's an infection that could lead to complications that are not desirable and um, even death. So we need to really talk about what we can do to prevent that. And ultimately it is the patient's decision, but they do need to know that it is a possibility that they could end up in the hospital due to an untreated dental infection. So this was kind of a heavy topic, um, but if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to reach out to me at spring at todaysrdh.com. And thank you for joining me. And until next time, guys, stay curious. Thank you for listening to the Today's RDH Dental Hygiene Podcast. 
Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. 